0: Needing strength for my journey, I knelt at the cross where Jesus once died for me. And I asked, is this the place where hope abides? And this he said to me, Across cross is a tomb that is empty you won't find me there anymore and beyond the tomb is life everlasting and hope forevermore then i sought reassurance. And I went to the tomb, to the place where his body once lay. And I cried, Lord, help me see, is there hope here for me? And this I heard him say, be all Tomb that is empty, you won't find me there anymore. And beyond the tomb is life everlasting and hope forevermore. that is empty. You won't find me there anymore. And beyond the tomb is life everlasting and hope forever. Hope
1: that brother josh tremendous song tremendous truth right yeah. tremendous truth that's where it's at and i uh, love the doctrine, and the truth in these songs we sing and they're not just words to enter fill space and uh, these songs are important we need to focus on the words and what they're saying praise the lord for that empty tomb second peter chapter one this morning if you would second peter chapter one Second Peter chapter 1 uh, is where our theme for the year comes from, and adds add to your faith, and Pastor did a, a series on this already. I want to read a few verses um, in Second Peter, and if you would, go ahead and stand with me. Do something a little different this morning. Go ahead and stand. Second Peter chapter 1, somebody came up to me this morning and said they didn't think that I had enough in me to preach until 2 o'clock, and I said challenge accepted, so <laughs> you're in for it today. <laughs> Some of you are worried I'll actually do it I could I won't though 2 Peter Well I'll try not to 2 Peter chapter 1 verse number 1 it says Simon Peter A servant and the apostle of Jesus Christ To them that have obtained like precious faith With us through the righteousness of God And our Savior Jesus Christ Grace and peace be multiplied unto you Through the knowledge of God And of Jesus our Lord According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. for so, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse number 12 will finish. Wherefore, I would not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. And uh, I want to just touch on some things. As I mentioned before, this is our theme, today, uh, you know, our theme for the year. And Pastor uh, did a series on these uh, things that were listed here. Uh, maybe 12, 13, 14 weeks, did it the first few months of the year, uh, touching on virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience, godliness, brotherly kindness and charity. And uh, he taught about how we need to build on those things. They're building blocks. And uh, and he went through those in great detail. If you want to hear those, they're on the website. You can listen to those. Today, That's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a little bit surrounding, a little bit of information surrounding these truths. All right? And so let's go ahead and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for today. Lord, we ask that you would... Be with our message this morning, Lord, that you would uh, help us to learn what you have for us. Lord, you've given me the thought that you have for us, and I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't mess it up. Lord, I pray that I'd simply be a mouthpiece for you, that you'd be able to get your message across clearly. Lord, most of all, I pray that you'd be honored in all that's done. Lord, I pray that I wouldn't try to accomplish anything in my flesh, but, Lord, that it would all be in the Spirit. We'll give you the praise and glory for all you do this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. This passage of Scripture is a passage of encouragement to the saints. Peter is talking to them, and uh, he is uh, giving them some instruction about their lives and how they're to live their Christian lives. But there's some details in this passage that I want to draw out and some things I think will help bolster or encourage us in what we've learned already through our theme and adding to our faith. The first thing that I I want to just kind of point out this morning by way of introduction is in verse number 14 where it says that, this is Peter again speaking, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. I want us to understand before we get anywhere in our lesson or message this morning the fact that Peter is about to die and he knows it. Peter understands that his life is coming to an end. And he says that I must shortly put off this tabernacle. He's describing that I'm not going to be in this world. And he said, even as uh, the Lord has shown me. And he's uh, describing here, I believe that he already knows that he may be crucified, but he knows that he's going to be uh, killed. He knows he's not going to live much like Jesus Christ did not live a long life on this earth. And, and, and Peter really lived a, a decent life from what we understand in history. Maybe about 30, 35 years after Jesus Christ's death, uh, Peter died. And so uh, he he lived a a pretty full life. He was a grown man when he went following after Jesus. And uh, and so spent the latter end or the second half of his life completely dedicated to Christ. Peter is one of those disciples that's known for a lot of failures, isn't he? Made some mistakes. And uh, he's the kind of guy that um, was ready, shoot, aim, you know, he uh, he he jumped the gun first. He he didn't he didn't really think about what he was doing. He just kind of jumped right in, and we see that a lot of times where Peter said, "Oh Lord, I'll never I'll never fail you, or I'll never deny you," and he goes and denies him. And Peter has the faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water, and then he loses his faith and starts to plunge in. And that's the kind of guy that Peter had, the kind of life Peter lived. That's the kind of Christian he was, and because of that, <laughs> most of us can relate. We have some ups and downs like Peter did, and uh, but. We look at Peter and we see, at least I do, the urgency of this lesson he's trying to give to the saints. It's urgent to me because it's from a position of a dying man. And really, when anybody starts to die, things become a whole lot more important. What their life was about, what they lived for, what the cause is really worth. And here Peter is on his deathbed and he reminds them a couple times just in this first chapter that I'm about to die. But I want to give you some things. I want to leave you with some truths. Some truths that really are ultimately important. The reason that I tend to give so much backstory when I preach, and, and this morning while I'm giving so much backstory of what's going on in this passage, is we need to understand the urgency. We need to understand where Peter's at in his life. We need to understand that he spent the next 30, 35 years after Jesus Christ's death totally dedicated to Christ. We need to understand that he's on his deathbed that he, he's at a point where he's about to pass on from this world, and from that position giving us something to live by. How precious are the words of a dying saint? being in the room with somebody who's about to pass from this world and hearing what they would find you know what they would say at last. You know there might be some that would say, "Thank God I'm finally getting away from my spouse." Yeah, it's been said. It's a joke, but it's not funny. Then there's some that say, I've given it my all. No regrets. Like Adonai and Judson. Yeah. Everything given to the Lord. It's important for us to understand Peter's perspective. And I understand this is the word of God, and it's God speaking through Peter. All scripture is given by, given by inspiration of God. But Peter, ha, Peter has an impact on the way this message is delivered, does he not? He does, the same way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell different angles of the same story. They're all giving God's word, but from a different perspective. And so the message that you're hearing this morning, don't hear it from a 30-year-old man. Don't hear it from uh, pages on a book hear a message given by God through a man on his deathbed. And to this morning, I want to bring a message with the Lord's help, reminders from the deathbed of an apostle. Reminders from the deathbed of an apostle. He obviously felt like there were some truths that he had to leave behind. Those words are precious and few when you know that you're not going to live very long. I know that Peter was going to be crucified, So I'm not saying that he was exasperated at death. I'm not saying that he was struggling to breathe as he coaxed these last words through his vocal cords. That's not the case, but we do know that he knew he was going to die and time becomes precious, does it not? It does. When my father was given a diagnosis or a prognosis of death within a couple years, time became precious in a way that it hadn't been before. The desire to go back and visit grew more than it ever had been there before because I wanted to spend time and I wanted to make it count and I wanted to have no regrets. And that's how we need to take these truths and with such sincerity the, the truths that Peter's trying to give to us. Reminders from a deathbed, from the deathbed of an apostle. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to this morning is something that Peter, uh, preacher touched on just a little bit, but I want to bring you to verse number 12. And I want to give you the first reminder, which is a reminder that you need to remember what you have already known. Remember what you have already known. In verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, I would not be uh, negligent. Sorry, I have these words underlined in my Bible here, and I went a little sloppy at this part, and I crossed through negligent. I would not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. We need to remember something. But what he's saying is, though you know them and are established in them, you still need to remember them. And so our first reminder today that Peter gives to us is remember what you have already known. Verse number 15 says, Moreover, I would endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. In these two verses, Peter makes a very clear statement that there are things that we already know as Christians that we forget. And these things are so important to us, not only do we need to remember them, but Peter said, I'm going to put a plan in place so that when I'm dead, you still remember these things. When I'm deceased, when I'm gone, you still will remember these things. If, if, if Peter was so emphatic on the point that we needed to remember something, it tells me two things. It must be easy to forget. And it must be important. It must be easy to forget, and it must be important. So, the truth that he's trying to give to us right now and what would come next, the whole principle of add to your faith is incredibly important. What the theme that we have as a church this year is vital. It's a necessity in a Christian's life in order to move forward and to grow. Peter says, You need to remember, it's easy to forget. And it's important, we often forget what we already know, don't we? I've been around some masters in my life, masters of trades or masters of mechanics, masters of computers, and I've said before that they've forgotten more than I'll ever know, and that's the truth. I've been around guys, although I can dabble a little bit with graphic design, I've been around guys that can totally create from scratch things that I have no idea what they're doing. And I'm sure they have forgotten more than I'll ever know. I think we all at some point can relate to that. We are forgetful people. John Hopkins University, uh, a researcher, did a study to determine what people often forget. What, what do you think is the number one thing people forget? Somebody, holler something out. What do you got? Phone number, anniversaries, oh, trouble there. Hope you're not testifying, brother. What else? Birthdays. Birthdays? How about names? Names is number one. I can relate. Names. 83% of people say names are the number one thing that they forget. Where something is. My dad used to often say, I didn't lose, it. I just misplaced it. It was totally gone. He had no idea. Where something is, 60%. Of people say that is what gets them most Telephone numbers 57% of people say that's the hardest thing For them to remember Words You ever get somewhere and you're like oh. what's, what's that word? Yeah What's the word? 53% of people say they struggle remembering words What was just said 40, 49% of people 100% of those that were pulled were men No, am just kidding <laughs> That's how women feel sometimes. That was not in the research, all right? That was not true. 49%, what was just said. Faces, people forget faces. 42% of people forget faces. And if you're in this group of people who can't remember what you've just done, (laughs) that's 38% of the population. You ever get up in the morning and can't remember if you brushed your teeth? I hope not. I hope not. You probably still have stinky breath then. 38% of the population forgets what they've just done. Followers of Christ have this same forgetful personalities. We forget. Whether because of a high pressure situation, whether it's because of stress we're going through, or whether it's just because of daily life, we forget the things that we've already known. We forget the characteristics of God. We forget how He's helped us and how He's worked with us, how He's brought us through the trials and how He's brought us through the difficult times. We often forget what we have already known. And though we've been through those times, it just seems to evaporate the moment we come through another trial. We seem to forget we are His children. We seem to forget what He's promised to do for us. We seem to forget His awesome power and His gracious love. We seem to forget. And because we forget, so often we try to overcome temptation in our own flesh. Because we forget... To add to our faith, we try to solve difficult problems through worldly wisdom. This seems like the right path. This seems like common sense. And we ignore the possibility that God is trying to take us down a path that is not our way. Because His ways are not our ways. They're different. On the hindsight or looking back after those Decisions we've made in worldly wisdom. We can say. Huh, it's pretty obvious I made the wrong decision. Should have waited a little longer. I should have trusted God a little more. And that's why we need reminded. What we, we need to be reminded what we already know. That God's promises are true. That he is there to protect. And he is there to guide. Psalm, the psalmist David. He knew this same principle that Peter knew. That's why he tells us in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Trusting in chariots is forgetting really what God is all about and relying on your own physical strength to accomplish something. Trusting in the man-made mechanics that are in place. But he's saying we, we need to remember the name of the Lord our God, the one who is sufficient, the one who is able to do abundantly Exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So David tells us, remember the name of the Lord our God. Rely on His strength. Remember what you already know. Have you ever been to the point in your life where you kind of just forget completely everything that God's done for you? You ever get into a stressful situation and it's kind of like all the wisdom that God has ever shown you in your life is out the window. The moment of temptation, forget that His strength is there, that He will not tempt you above that you're able but will with that temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But we try to grin and bear it. We try to bear through it. We try to uh, overcome that temptation in our flesh. How often did that result in failure? We need to be mindful and we need to remember the things that we have already known. I'm not talking about forgetting things because of old age. Let me be abundantly clear about that. I'm not talking about forgetting something because of Alzheimer's. Talking about forgetting things because your flesh is more dominant than the Spirit of God inside of you. Right. That's really ultimately the cause which brings upon us that forgetfulness. That we don't live in the Spirit as much as we should. That we're not adding to our faith virtue, virtue, knowledge. Because if we really had knowledge, the knowledge of our Loving Savior, as pastor has taught us, the knowledge of a holy God, knowledge of a God who will suffice in any difficult time. If we remembered that, if we were adding to our faith, we would not forget. (laughs) If we were going through that process on a daily basis, we would not forget. But because we do not go through this process of adding to our faith, we do forget. And that's why the reminder from Paul, you need to remember the things that you've already known. But you also, as far as remembering, you need to remember or don't forget the things that you've already experienced. Not just the things that you know. That's one thing. I know that God is sufficient. I know that God is able. I know that God will provide. I see the promise of His Word that uh, where David described to us, I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor see seed begging bread. And all of us this morning could point to Scripture or to memory that we have of promises of God. Knowing the promise is good. And we are to remember the things we know. But we also should remember the things that we have experienced. In verse number 4, the second half of verse number 4, if you'd look with me today, it says that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. That by these... You might be partakers of the divine nature. He's talking about a promise. Promise, salvation. That by this promise, we might be partakers of a divine nature. Now, what I'm about to say, don't take it wrong. Because I'm not saying that you necessarily forget that you're saved. But I think sometimes we we forget the experience that we have partaken of the divine nature of God which is salvation, which is an experience, which is a point in time in all of our lives. It's not waking up every day and saying your prayers. It's not the Hail Marys. It's not your religion. That's not the experience I'm talking about. Salvation is a one-time experience where you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. All of us, or at least I, I trust and I pray this morning that all of us in this room have experienced that. But sometimes we forget Our experience. Now, again, I'm not saying that we forget that we are saved. Uh, We forget that we've partaken in the divine nature. We forget that we... Well, we forget the joy of our salvation. It's really what it boils down to. We forget the joy of our salvation. And because we're so caught up in our flesh and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, the things that cause us to focus on the corruptible things of this world, because we are so often looking through our physical eyes rather than our spiritual eyes, we forget the experience of our salvation, the joy. Do you remember it? Do you remember accepting Jesus Christ? Do you remember what you felt, what you went through? Or even if you didn't feel something, maybe you were born and raised in church and you weren't saved from a... A corrupted, uh, evil, wicked, vile lifestyle. Maybe you were saved in church and praise the Lord for that. But do you remember the moment that your burdens were lifted as well? You should. Doesn't matter what your testimony is. We all had a burden. That burden was hell and it all had to be lifted off our soul. For every single one of us, it has to have been lifted off of our shoulders. Do you remember that experience in your life? The joy that came at the moment that you experienced that? It's a wonderful feeling. Leading somebody to Christ and seeing their eyes light up. It's a wonderful thing to experience. But we forget. We forget that we're partakers of a divine nature. That power, that awesome joy. You know what? The thing for many is that we've forgotten the experience of salvation in our lives. Because we're no longer the Christian we were When we were saved We're no longer the Christian we were When we were saved Because we're not fired up About the things of Christ anymore We're not excited about growth We're not excited about learning We're not excited like Give me more I want more Give me extra I want the 24 ounce prime rib Not the 8 ounce I want it I want it I want it No matter what avenue you're going to go down You want more of it whether it's through the preaching of God's word or through Sunday school or or, or uh, learning from your personal study of reading books and listening to them preaching uh, outside of church, you just you can't take enough of it in and you want more. But we've lost that somewhere along the line. So many Christians lose the joy of their salvation, lose that excitement. Amen. That's good. In 1 Peter chapter four, just listen if you would. Peter's describing the saints who are adding to their faith and. Because they're adding to their faith and because they're growing, he describes them like this. In 1 Peter 4, verse 4, he says, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. He said, hey, Christians, you know what? The world's going to look at you a little funny now. When you start adding to your faith, when you start to remember what Christ has done in you, that you're partakers of the divine nature that you have him dwelling in you and that you're adding to your faith virtue and you're going through this process, when you start to do that in your life, the world's going to look at you and they're going to say, man, that guy used to come out partying with us. That guy used to talk like us. That guy used to look at the stuff we did. When we pulled it out of the shop at work, he would take a gander at it and make jokes. And all. And now they're looking at you saying, hey, he doesn't live like he used to do. He's not living in rioting. It's not an, an excessive life. He's not partaking in the sin. There's something different about that man. Why? What, what took place in that believer's life is not just that they were saved. Because there's a room full of saved individuals this morning. But what could a group this size of saved individuals who are adding to their faith accomplish? The thing is that we forget. We forget that experience, that joy. The desire for more. Maybe the desire's there, but it's really dwindled down. It's just not like it used to be. We've got to do something about this today, church. We need to start remembering the things we've already known. Secondly, the second remi- reminder from the deathbed of an apostle is we need to develop spiritual men- a spiritual mentality. We need to develop a spiritual mentality. Look at me in verse number 5, if you would. In verse number 5 through 7, it says, And besides this... Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Again, we don't have time to cover these nine different attributes, but I want to point something out. He lists these nine things that we're supposed to add to our faith, and then in verse number eight, he says this. For if these things be in you and abound, let's say the next three words together. Ready, begin. They make you. They make you. What does that say? It says it's in result of applying the nine things to your life. They make you. They make you. They make you. It's not they could be there. You may abound. You may have fruit. You may have good works. No, it says they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They make you. Peter is not simply giving us a list of do's and don'ts. Now follow along with me here. He's not giving us requirements that make you look like a Christian. But, and hear me out, that's mostly what we look for. As Christians today, we look for the list of what we need to do to appear to be the Christians that we ought to be. And if we're not careful, we can look at that list and say, okay, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. You do, but it's not a physical action. All of these things, although they may appear or sound as though they are a physical action, they are not. It's a change in mentality. Add to your faith knowledge, and to knowledge virtue. And a virtue, patience. You're building upon these building blocks, but there are, and even brotherly kindness is. Although it is something that's demonstrated, you don't get brotherly kindness from simply just trying to be kind. You have got to be kind. Right. Right. It starts on the inside. It starts with a spiritual mentality. You know what we want today? We want to be neither barren nor unfruitful, but we don't want to add to our faith. Right. Right. We want to fulfill the checklist without going through the work. That's why when you don't like the ch- what the requirements may be for a ministry at a church, you go to another church that's got a different checklist because you don't want to follow the guidelines. And the guidelines are all that matter to you. It's about what people see. It's not about the hearts. Ultimately, what I'm getting at this morning is that we cheat at the Christian life. Rather than developing a spiritual mentality that views things through God's perspective that uses wisdom, we develop, develop a spiritual look. We fulfill a role. That's why it's so hard to be modest. That's why it's a fight. That's why maybe even on occasion Brother Josh has come to a choir member and said, Sorry can't get in front of people like that. Mm-hmm. You see, there, there are things in our lives where we're just trying to squeak by as close to a ledge as we can to look the part of Christianity but denying the power thereof. Yeah. Yeah, amen. It's a dangerous place to be. And it's not a position where we're adding to our faith. When we come to church and put on a special outfit for church and then go home and turn on Dancing with the Stars and are okay with watching the immorality, and are okay with watching the indecency, and are okay with watching the worldliness, and bringing it into our homes, then we're fulfilling checklists. We do not have a spiritual mentality. We're making the marks. I look like I'm adding to my faith virtue, and I look like I'm adding to my faith patience, and I look like I'm adding temperance. But in fact, we're just looking the parts, but cheating ourselves out of the Christian life. I recall as a child learning multiplication. Long multiplication. And I hated it. I hated school, come to think of it. But I was homeschooled, and you got your assignments at the beginning of the week is how it worked. So mom would give you the assignments, and you'd have your notebook, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday were all outlined. Every day you had to do your assignment. If you didn't get your assignment done for that day, you would... Lunchtime would come around, you'd eat lunch, you'd do your chores, then you'd be back at your school books. And you'd be there until you were done. Some days I sat there, past dinner time. <laughs> I didn't like the long multiplication. I remember on one of these occasions, I was incredibly impatient to get outside and cause mischief. Or whatever I wanted to do, I don't remember what it was now, but I wanted to get away from that schoolwork. work. And out of the corner of my eye, I glimpsed and saw... The answer key. (laughs) Confession is good for the soul. (laughs) In this moment of temptation, I failed. Picked up that answer key and I filled in the long multiplication answers. Came to mom to have her check my work. And I was busted. (laughs) Right away. Because she looked down at that multiplication and there was no work. Think about that answer key. Stupid answer key. It didn't have the work that I could copy out, too. <laughs> it just had the answer. What's up with that? Come on, Becca, get it right if you're listening. All right? No. See, the thing is, uh, I just filled in the answer. When I got to mom, she looked at it and she said, uh, you're not learning what you're supposed to be learning. What we do a lot of times in academia is we cheat to get the answers to appear as though we've learned the material. In Christianity, we cheat to look good, to appear as though we're adding to our faith. But we never learn. We never learn. Here's the real kicker about that whole story. Is that as soon as I gave it to my mom and said, Mom, look at this, it was obvious to her that I had cheated here's where we live in denial as christians today we cheat through our christian lives living in denial that it is obvious to those around us that we are simply playing a part Good. Yep. cheating at christianity we do it to some extent we all do it because you know me by my fruit and I know you by your fruit, And you can see where I fail. I can see where you fail. I don't stand in judgment of your motives or hearts. or I can't do that. It's impossible for me. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God looketh on the heart. But every unsaved person in this world sees you and what you should look like. And every saved person in the church sees you and me what we should look like and we say praise the lord we say we're adding to our faith but it's all too often abundantly clear that we are cheating at our christianity we need to develop a spiritual mentality we've got to get our heads fixed we've got to get this sorted out When we get this sorted out, the Lord will have every other attribute that He wants to control. When we get our head game sorted out, we get our separation sorted out. We get our biblical standards sorted out. This is why people who get so frustrated with the idea of biblical separation, that frustration is rooted in a believer. Who is not adding to their faith. Good. It's where it comes from. You say, well, I disagree with you. You are welcome to do so. But you cannot disagree with this dying apostle who leaves us with a reminder that says, When you remember the divine nature, the partaker that you are in it, and you add to your faith, you will begin to live differently. They'll look at you out there in the world, like he said in chapter 4, verse 4. They will look at you and say, there's something different. The separation will come when we are adding to our faith. We need to make sure that we develop a spiritual mentality. Finally, this morning, we need to appreciate what we have. This last, and final reminder that the Apostle Paul gives to us this morning is appreciate what you have. And he says in verse number 1, look with me if you would, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, To them that have obtained like precious faith. Like precious faith. Like precious faith. Have we not already uh, uh, covered the fact that Peter is about to die? How precious is the faith of an eternal heaven to a dying saint? It's everything right now. It's all that they have and it's what we hold on to. And Peter was saying, hey... I've got something like you've got. It's like precious faith. And I want you to remember it. And from my position of dying, where I'm at, where I'm about to pass off of this world, I want you to remember how precious the faith you have is. Peter understood probably better than most of his time and the saints he was speaking to and those of us today the cost of salvation. Did he not walk with him? He did. Was he not his disciple? He knew him intimately, physically. He knew the Savior physically. You don't think that's pretty precious? You don't think he cherished every single moment the rest of his life thinking about the times that he walked with Jesus Christ? Where he sat on the side of the mountain and listened to Jesus teach? His faith in Jesus Christ was a precious thing. Peter saw the way Jesus lived. Peter saw the agony with which Jesus died. Peter was there in the garden, don't you remember? Jesus cried, as it were, great drops of blood. Peter would have remembered this. Peter knew Jesus in his life. Peter knew Jesus in his death. Peter knew Jesus after his resurrection. Walking on this earth. Peter's faith in Jesus was more precious probably than we can even comprehend this morning. Yes. Amen. And you know how he describes it to us? A like precious faith. He's saying, man, there is something so special here. And I want you to remember it. I want you to hold on to it. As long as you live, as long as you're in this world, I want you to remember this like, precious faith that we've got it. I've got the same thing you've got. The same power. The same ability to walk with God. Uh, We may not be able to walk next to a physical being, but we can walk with God just as close as Peter did. We can experience the same power that Peter did. And it is a precious, precious, precious thing. But far too often we forget. We forget how precious our salvation is. And that's why we're so quick and willing to barter it off for the temporal satisfaction of our flesh. Sin that is fun for a season. Listen to me, young person. The older you become, the more precious your faith will be. So right now, it doesn't seem too ludicrous to go ahead and do what you want. It doesn't seem too insane to follow the world's model of do what makes you happy. Pursue your flesh. If it feels good, do it. But you're taking a precious, precious faith, throwing it by the wayside. Peter here is giving a reminder to all Christians, remember that precious faith that you've obtained The Apostle Paul said it like this. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Two things that we must notice to truly appreciate the salvation we have. First is that you will not add to your faith without appreciating your faith. Because you'll see no need to improve upon it. You'll be all about you. Be about what makes you happy. And that's why we're so quick to fly off the handle. That's why we're so quick to let our our flesh rule the day. That's why we battle so much. Because we don't appreciate what we've been given. Often gifts are not appreciated for what they actually cost. The second thing we'll note, if we truly appreciate salvation... The person who truly appreciates salvation, listen, grows the most, knows the most, and becomes the most for Christ. I'm not saying that in a way to compare ourselves among ourselves. and doing so, we become fools. But the person who appreciates their faith will grow the most. The person who appreciates their faith the most will grow the most. They will know the most, and they will become the most for Christ. Why? Because they will continue to add to their faith. Line upon line, precept upon precept. What did John tell us? He said, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. The person who appreciates God says, God, I love you more than anything. And you've told me to do this. You've instructed me to add to my faith. You've instructed me to grow in my walk with you. And that is what means the most to me in this life. It's not my wealth. It's not my money. It's not my career. It's not my happiness. It's not my family. It's not anything else. The thing that matters most to me is my faith. It is the most precious commodity that I have, and because it is the most precious thing to me, that person is the person with that attitude is the person who will grow the most, who will know the most about God, and will become the most for Christ. So, a moment of reflection. Before you say today I appreciate my faith. Let me tell you. It's reflected by your commitment.
0: Right, amen.
1: It's a mirror. Your faith is a mirror. And the reflection of that mirror shows your level of commitment. Because it's easy for us to say, I appreciate salvation. I think all of us this morning would say, I'm thankful for my salvation. Who would not? Who would not say, I'm thankful that I can know for sure I'm on my way to heaven? That would be foolish and we would appear to be stupid. But what does the reflection say about your appreciation? This hit me between the eyes the same that it will hit you. Because we can't deny it. As much as you want to, as you grow in age and stand before that mirror and you've got four chins and your ears are down at your shoulders, <coughs> as much as you wish you could turn back the clock, the reflection tells the truth of what you are and how you've aged. The reflection of our appreciation is our commitment. Some of you might say this morning, that's unfair. You can't judge people that way. Well, I don't say it lightly because it scares me probably more than it scares you, especially being the one standing up here giving this message, bearing the responsibility of not only being shown this already by God, now I'll have to answer for it, but then teaching it to a group of people, which will make me responsible for all of that. To all different varying degrees, we would be ashamed of what our reflection looked like. Some of you today may say, well, I would, I would do more for Christ if I had more talent. I would do more for Christ if I had more time. I would do more for Christ if I had more ability or resources. But let me just point out one thing in verse number 3. Because he says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We've got every single thing we need to be the Christians we ought to be. He's given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. If I'm supposed to be a reflection of Christ and be completely selfless and a servant to all, if that's what my level of commitment should be, then the Lord has given me the ability to get there. He's given me the talent to accomplish that. He's given me the strength to get there. Not that I'm going to accomplish in myself, but through His strength working in me, I can. Through God working in me, I can. But far too often we excuse our lack of commitment on our lack of ability, our lack of resources, our lack of talent, when in fact it's laziness. God has given us all the tools we need to properly demonstrate our appreciation for what we've been given. The truth of the matter is, for the most part, we don't appreciate it the way that we ought to. Not that we don't have the tools we need. It is a precious precious faith here Peter on his deathbed says let me remind you of some things remember what you've already known what you've known and what you've experienced develop a spiritual mentality make sure your head and your heart are right the rest will fall into place appreciate what you've been given reminders that We ought to grab a hold of the same we would the words of a dying loved one. Words that would be precious to us the remainder of our lives. Advice that we would live by the rest of our lives. Why? Because it was their dying wish. I believe in a way we hear the dying wish of Peter, what he hopes Christianity will become, a group of people that will add to their faith. And because they add to their faith, they will neither be barren nor unfruitful. I would ask you this morning to stand with me if you would. Reminders from the deathbed of an apostle.